Welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. Cyclical Inc. is a community of church starters, discerners, coaches, and leaders who believe in God's love inspiring faithful innovation through the church. On this podcast, we'll have dialogues with practitioners to gain insight, inspiration, and best practices for starting and leading churches in a post-industrial context. Welcome to the conversation. Hey guys, welcome to the Cyclical Podcast. My name is Brendan McClenahan, and I am one of the co-producers of this podcast. Brianna is sick today. Before we play the interview, which I am very excited to play for you, I wanted to make one announcement. So virtually every church around the world has been impacted by COVID-19, and we are all in various stages of shutdown or reopening or whatever the case may be in your context. And because of this, and because of all the different changes and differences between areas, it can be really hard to trace the threads of how to understand the church and your role in it, and what kind of theological priorities we should be paying attention to right now. So Cyclical gathered a group of ecclesial innovators from across our international network to write a book. Uh, This book is for you, and it's called Faithful Innovation, or at least I think that might be the title. We are still settling on a title. Let me know if you have any ideas. And it is 12 chapters um, that will help you reflect on this unique moment, make sense of what it means to be the church after COVID-19, and begin to put into place some ideas of how you are going to make sense of this and move forward. It's going to be available on July 28th, and it's going to be coinciding with a conference that we're hosting in August. So be on the lookout for the registration link for that conference. When you sign up for the conference, which I believe will be $20 on our website, you will get a free copy of the book sent to you. Hopefully you'll get there by the time uh, the conference has started. And we hope to see you at the conference and we hope you'll pick up a copy of the book. With that, I want to introduce you to our podcast guest this morning. His name is Josh James. He's a PhD from Fuller Theological Seminary, and he's a commissioned church starter in the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship and pastor of the Restoration Project in Salisbury, Maryland. He and his wife, Kate, have been married for 12 years. They have two sons, Abram and Jude, and he wants you to know that he has a highly curated Netflix queue and has recently become an enthusiast of buying sports cards, not cars, but cards on eBay, and uh, he wants you to know that's all for real. Anyway, what I loved about this podcast interview is Josh's honesty. Starting a church is not easy, and it can have a lot of uh, difficulties and challenges that come with it, especially for some of us in regards to the relationship between the new church and the sending church. It hasn't always worked out well for people, and if you are in that boat, or have you ever been in that boat where the sending church and the new church is not, that's a relationship that hasn't gone well, I think this is going to be a really, really helpful interview to listen to. So Josh shares just honestly from his heart, his own experience. I can't wait for you to listen to it and let us know your thoughts and reflections about it. Without much further ado, here is the interview between Nick Warnes and Josh James. All right, Dr. Joshua James, we are so glad that you're joining us today. Please fill us in a bit. What brings you to this conversation? 
Well, um, I am a church planter in Salisbury, Maryland. Uh, Salisbury, for those of you that don't know, is located on the eastern shore of Maryland, so near the beaches. Uh, Ocean City might be a reference point. Um, We planted a church called the Restoration Project about seven and a half years ago, uh, and I am here to talk about my experiences uh, planting that church, especially in the context where we are. Uh, Salisbury is a, is a pretty large town for our area. It's about 40,000 people, uh, which for folks who are listening in uh, thriving metropolises, <laughs> <laughs> that is, is a very different context. But for where we are, it's, it's, it's the hub. <clears throat> Some people refer to it as the capital of Delmarva, which stands for uh, Delaware, Maryland, and Virginia. We live on the Delmarva Peninsula, so we have a little nice, piece like of all three That's different good. states there mm-hmm. on this uh, this little piece of land. But mm-hmm. it's rural in the sense of the the mindset of the people. It's very conservative. Um, it's a it's a farming community. There's a lot of um, agriculture near here. Um, but we've also found that there's there's an influx of people who are beginning to move and retire here uh, with mm-hmm. our close proximity to the beach and. Uh, and some of the professional aspects that people living a more fast paced of life in DC, Philly, Baltimore, they'll drive the two hours to come across the bridge, as mm-hmm. they say, uh, and, and settle here just to uh, enjoy a little bit of the land and, and some of the beaches as well. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, a strange, it's a strange part of the world. Um, I guess I should also mention that I, I grew up about 15 miles away in Southern Delaware. So I am very familiar with the context. And I would also say that that's probably the only reason why I planted a church at all <laughs> and why I planted a church here. Mm-hmm. Uh, seeing, seeing a need for a different expression of faith and um, people beginning to ask new and exciting questions and not really having communities to, uh, to delve into those uh, pursuits too much led to our beginning. Perfect. Well, let's get into that. Um, but before we get there, tell us a little bit more too uh, about your PhD or doctor. What'd you get your PhD in? So I uh, did a PhD in Old Testament studies at Fuller Theological Seminary. Um, and that that sort of journey is a story in and of itself, which might be a different podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I had started a PhD in Philadelphia at Westminster Seminary working with Pete Enns. Um, He was in the process of saying some controversial things and getting fired. And he basically said, hey, if you guys can get out of here, you probably should, (laughs) which led to me emailing John Golden Gay. And then I didn't know this at the time, but he responded in about two and a half minutes and said, yeah, sure. Come on over. That's 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 not how he sounds. He's British. (laughs) Uh, That That wasn't even close. Yeah, no. That's that's the best I got. Though. Yeah, nice. I like it. <laughs> cool. Well, thanks for being here again, and thanks uh, for the work you've done on the restoration project. I've actually read some of Josh's stuff, and uh, he's a very thoughtful leader. And uh, just yeah, looking forward to this time. So um, we are going to frame this time with those four seasons of uh, any new church that we've been experiencing. And the first season 
uh, for our listeners, in case you haven't learned this yet, is uh, the season of discernment. And of course, focus uh, on certainly point leader, point leaders of the church, but also inviting other people to participate in the church. Uh, we want to really encourage uh, lots of discernment there as well. So how did that go for you? What was your discernment process like and what sort of process did you invite your new church into? Well, I'm, my story is is pretty long. I, I grew up in the church. I went to private Christian school from kindergarten through 12th grade, which uh, I'm still in therapy due to that. I'm trying to work through some of those, those issues. <laughs> um, and I always felt this sort of call to ministry in some capacity, although I could never really verbalize it. And anytime I found myself thinking about pastoral ministry, I very quickly shut the door on that. Namely because, uh, hopefully, hopefully this comes through in the podcast, I am an introvert uh, to to the maximum. Uh, you guys can't see this, but my palms are real sweaty right now. <laughs> Mom's spaghetti, if you want to go the M&M route. Um, so I, I never thought that I had what it takes to be a pastor. I'm not really smiley. I don't like hugging people, which makes quarantine awesome. Uh, so I don't have that pressure. Anymore. A master of social distancing. <laughs> yes. yes, I've been preparing my whole life for this, for this very moment. Um, so whenever I saw them, I thought, well, I can't do that. Uh, so maybe I'll do something different. And when I went to Bible college, I fell in love with the academic study of the Bible, which is weird to say because, I mean, Bible college is a very conservative, safe place. But I, I saw the Bible treated with a respect that I had never uh, encountered before which led me to seminary, which led me to a PhD pursuit, because the entire time I thought I would end up teaching. Mm-hmm. Come to find out, I was in the last year, I think, of my coursework at Fuller, and one of our Old Testament professors gathered us all together in the library and said, hey, listen, guys, um, bad news. There's really no jobs for any of you, so mm-hmm. you might want to think about plan B. And then he went on to talk about us becoming research librarians. And I didn't know what to do with that. So (laughs) uh, I I began to maybe revisit some of the pastoral ministry and wondering if there might be a place for someone like me who's more nerdy and um, analytical and wants to pursue some of those seminary type questions Mm-hmm. in a in a communal setting of people who aren't going to seminary mm-hmm. and wondering like can you preach sermons that are really nerdy but also engaging and this was also around the time that Rob Bell was becoming famous and other uh, pastors who were preaching way too long like hour long sermons but i personally was <laughs> devouring them mm-hmm. uh and it seemed like people were anxious to to think about things at a deeper level so i started wondering if i might be able uh, you know, to go the church starting route. And that mm-hmm. sounds so egotistical, doesn't it? Like mm-hmm. my plan B <laughs> is me starting a community where I get to teach. That's stupid. Don't well, do that. If you're I mean, and that's the plan, don't do that. I know your palms are sweaty right now, but, <laughs> but I mean, I know you and I, I know, uh, there's continuums of narcissism, uh, especially in church starting world. And you are not high on that continuum. So we know that, um, also just the, what I'm, I'm sensing, which is real common with a lot of people is widening the imagination for who can do this work, especially when it comes to church starting. Um, we've joked oftentimes about, you know, Myers-Briggs ENFPs, Enneagram threes or sevens, 
um, strengths finders with whatever command strengths finders with achiever, things like that. Um, and things, I mean, thanks be to God, there's a, a widening happening for who can do this work. And I know that you spent a lot of time discerning that. Um, and, uh, the results have been pretty cool. So thank you for like not submitting to like the preconceived notion of, uh, who's supposed to start churches. I think part of that too was, uh, reimagining what, what a church looks like as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, when I, when we first started, I will not lie. I did imagine and hope that it would kind of blow up in that traditional way. Like you outgrow blow, this building. Like, you know, oh, like growth. Blow up. Okay. Yeah. 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 Not, you know, I, I, I was hopeful that it would succeed and that, yeah. uh, you know, our town again is small. So like one, one of the larger churches in town would have 500 to 700. Uh, there's one church that has over a thousand, but like I would start playing with those sorts of, of numbers. And mm. when finally I got to the point of thinking, uh, as honest as, as I can utter this, like, oh, I don't care about how many, how many people we have. So if right. it's 50, let's, let's, let's do the job with 50, mm-hmm. which took the pressure off of becoming something that would have this mass appeal. And it, it took the pressure off of, um, you know, me trying to fit a mold that was seeming to sell well in other areas and just allowed me to be me and bring whatever gifts I have to the table and the people to, to respond to. Mm-hmm. To, to what we were doing. Yeah. And so for those people, so you had to have invited some people in to join you in this work. Um, what sort of process did you invite them into to join you in creating this church? It was a mess. Um, you want the honest version here or the- definitely, definitely honest, maybe keep it PG 13 just in case. Sure. For all of our uh, underage listeners. <laughs> I'm sure there's lots of 16 year olds listening to church planting podcasts. Yeah. Get out, get out now. Don't do it. Um, I was, uh, I was working at another local church under the auspices of learning what church planting looked like and also being sent out at some point. Like some sort of residency kind of set up or something. Sort of. I mean, and they, they had some needs. So I was doing worship leading and I was engaged in some of the teaching aspects of the church, not sermons so much, but just, I don't know, small group type things. Um, but kind of found myself in like a leadership type role. And once that happens, it, I think it becomes really difficult for some folks to let go. And just my leadership style and leadership style of the senior pastor, it was, it was clashing pretty hard and it felt like it was time for me to go. So when I started having those conversations, then it became like, well, just go. And, and it wasn't like, uh, you know, I, I'm happy to stay here for six to nine months, however long it takes. It was like, well, get out of here right now. And it, it man, it's still, uh, it hurts, I think, on both sides what that process was. And one of my biggest fears has always been starting a church that, that feels like a split. Mm-hmm. And despite our best efforts, um, it has, it's always been one-sided. Like we, we've wanted reconciliation and we've wanted uh, relationships to be good and healthy, but it was never reciprocated from our sending church. Right. Yeah. And the more powerful one too, your little baby church. And well, I mean, it was silly because our sending church was also young. And I mean, the pastor was a couple years older than me. So it was just, it was a really weird and unhealthy 
situation for us to even be in. But once, uh, once he decided that we shouldn't stay, we really had no intentions of doing the let's sit on this and pray for a year and mm-hmm. do some soft launch services and previews and whatever we had at the time we had about five, uh, five people, well, four couples, it was mm-hmm. four couples and then our kids. So we just said, well, I guess in, in lieu of, um, a year of planning, let's just have a Bible study. And if people want to come, they can come. We where, did were, they, where did those people come from? So they were part, they were part of that church, which made it even, which made it even worse because what I did not realize at the time was when you have a church of 50 and, and four tithing families leave, that is hard. Yeah. It's a big deal. I didn't know that at the time and no one was having conversations uh, with us. So we were all just kind of working on the, the spirit is leading and here we go. Right. (laughs) And it, in hindsight, there just could have been so many things done differently. We were, we were really, um, we really stressed at that time not to, um, say or do anything that might seem as though we were trying to torpedo the existing church. We were not trying to court any of their leaders or attenders. Um, these were people that were really close to me. Uh, one couple, so there's like natural relationships that had happened yeah, through your participation yeah, yeah. in the church. Right. So, uh, one, one family, the husband ended up serving as our co-pastor for the first, uh, five and a half years of the church. Um, another family, the, the husband ended up serving as one of the elders. Um, and then the, the other family ended up being like the host family of our meetings. So we, okay. we met in their, in their home, but yeah, in hindsight, it was, it wasn't good. And the communication uh, wasn't good. And, it was embarrassing to have to tell the story. So like, that's another piece when people come into it and say like, Oh, I thought you were here or I thought this was happening or is your church, this other church, like they would confuse us mm-hmm. with them. And right. so then it really like, it just took the wind out of our sails to be like, it's really even hard to tell this story in a way that's honoring to the existing community to mm-hmm. honoring to the call that we have. And uh, I don't know. And I, I sadly, I don't think that, our story is probably unique in that sense. I think there's a lot of church planters that suffer under leadership at other places. And then like, what, what do you do? I remember at one church, the pastor said, if you ever leave, and I had no intentions of leaving, but he just threw this out. He's like, if you ever leave, you can't start a church within 50 miles of this place. (laughs) That's 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 amazing. Yeah. That stuff happens. Again, we're not, we're not in LA. So, I mean, Uh you know, starting a church, within five miles is it's saying, it's saying a little bit more on Delmarva than it is, you know, in, in larger cities, but sure. Sure. So, I mean, so not, I mean, not an ideal start then, which, I mean, you're an old Testament scholar. You can probably know some stories about things that weren't ideal and God did God's thing and they turned into something that was uh, a bit better. So, yeah, that's not, that's not who you set out to be like, Hey, I'm going to be the guy who screws over his brother. And maybe then some good stuff will happen. You know, right, exactly. Like, I, right. I don't want to be that, but we were lucky in the sense of one of the contributing factors to the reason why we decided to, to start the church was because I was teaching at a local Christian school at the time. And I would say probably no less than 50% of my students did not go to church. Yeah. Um, for typical reasons, like 
it's boring. I hate it. Uh, mm-hmm. They're super conservative. They're not asking the questions that we're asking, uh, yeah. you know, whatever. So, so we thought like, well, if we did start a church, then we would have a built in community already with a lot of these students and their parents who were already saying, if, if you guys started a work, then we would go to that. Sure. Um, and it was, it wouldn't be, I mean, it's not like growth growth, but it's not church stealing either because these people are kind of de-churched and you're providing yeah. a community for them. So for the first you know, three or four years, that was our main constituency. Well, let's, was, let's talk about that. Let's get it. So before we get there, hold that thought and let's go back to that. Um, but the, the second season that we've been enjoying talking about is these initial organized gatherings. Like, so it sounds like you have a group of four or five families that are getting yeah. together regularly. So you said that you would read the Bible together. Uh, I'm sure you probably eat food and drink wine together kind of a thing. Um, is there anything else you did in that season before you did say to the larger community, okay, here we are, we're a church. We'd love to be in community with you. I don't think that we did anything different. We we said the the main reason why we called it a Bible study at first was because I was scared to call it anything other because I didn't want to fail. So saying, Hey, we started a brand new church and we're having a service and then nobody shows up. That would be a, a shot to, um, to my ego, I guess. So I want good to, wisdom for church planters. They'll keep that bar low. I wanted to covertly low. fool myself. It was real. I was just fooling my, trying to fool myself. Like, Oh, this isn't really a church and you're not really a pastor. And if nobody shows up, then you didn't really fail. Because back back to the other seasons of discernment, I had taken a handful of church planning assessments and nobody liked me. So this was another thing that I was really <laughs> scared um, of just going for it against all wisdom and then, and then those people being proven right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I forget how I got... How was, how was I? How this is, I so you all are gathering. You, yeah. You've, you've left so, the church. You've done the Protestant split, right? We're Protestants. We, we like to protest. You protested and left. Or you were given uh, what our friend Dwight Radcliffe says is the holy boot. Yeah, so more given, or less. You're given the holy boot and you, you start meeting in a Bible study. Well, um, okay. That's, that's the thing. It was, we said it was a Bible study, but it looks, that first service, it looks pretty much exactly the same as our services now, seven and a half years later. So we gathered, um, typical, like we, we prayed, uh, Mm -hmm. me being a worship leader, like we didn't have to go find someone. I just, I just did it. So we sang a couple of songs, little GDE minor C. Yep. Absolutely. We, uh, we, we preached the word of God (laughs) and then, uh, and then we shared communion together. Mm -hmm. So because it was, smaller, like we would mill around and because we were in a house, like there was, there was meals and there was things to make it not seem like a church, but structurally it ran pretty similar to a church service. Like a worship service. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Did you, where did you go from there? Okay. So you're starting to have some sort of liturgical expression in a home. Did you start to think about like missiological engagement at that time? Uh, Were you thinking about like leadership, how you how you're going to do governance with this thing. Like what were you thinking? What were some of the next steps? I don't think this is an overstatement, but we thought about nothing (laughs) at, at this time. 
we, we were both bivocational, me and the other pastor, we were both bivocational. There was no pressure for us whatsoever. I had yeah. a job. I was still teaching uh, Bible. I was still working on my PhD, finishing that up. Um, co-pastor had a, had a job in retail. Like my wife has a good job. So it wasn't like this has to work or else it was like, right. yeah, this is something we do. And yeah, I hope it works. I mean, right. I will say that I, from the very beginning, every ounce of my blood, sweat, tears, and anxiety, um, has gone into this, this work. So it wasn't like, I don't care, but it was, it was a low pressure financial situation and a low pressure vocational situation. Yeah. Um, so so much to learn from this. This, this isn't something to like be apologetic for. This is actually quite shrewd wisdom that's coming out right now. I mean, people that I see struggle the most are the people that are like, I need this to work and I need this to work like next week, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Sh- short yeah. runway plus a quote unquote need it to work. Uh, yeah. In other words, become a financially sustainable church. Yeah. That's, that's just a really difficult way for a lot of people to start churches. So, I mean, you eased some of those tensions right away, which to me is quite brilliant. Which I think, well, <laughs> brilliant. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I have a, a thing that I stole from, uh, Professor Golden Gay, my advisor, who was fond of saying, you can't be a prophet on the payroll. Hmm. So when you're trying to make your budget and trying to curtail that, we have three years of funding. And if we're not self-sustaining in three years, then it's over. Yeah. That really that really shapes how you can lead your community and the right. things you can engage and the things that you can't engage, especially in a, in a context like mine, like Mm -hmm. here we are in the midst of national unrest and I see the local pastors around tiptoeing around what they can say and what they can't say Hmm. at at the, you know, the risk of ticking off uh, certain, certain people in the seats that are paying the bills of the church. Right. And we never had that. So we could talk about whatever we wanted and it, right. it was, that was great. Um, and it seems like you were being guided too by those kids that wanted something a bit different, those kids and those families. Yeah. Right. So you, you wanted to create space for them. I, so when, when did you start like including them? Like what did that transition look like? Is, um, so l- let's just say, let's go to season three with, with, you know, pu- initial public witness. So yeah. you're, you're moving beyond, okay. Your Bible study in the house, quote unquote yeah. Bible study. So, I was the only one saying we were a Bible study. Everyone else was saying we were a church. <laughs> and I, I want to just put this in context. We are a small church. There, There's about 60 or so of us now. So the things I'm about to say right now, let's dial By back. small church on. then, you mean like an average size church globally? And even yeah. Yeah, I guess nationally. so. I mean, yeah. I, think most, I think most American church planners have this concept of a normal church is 250 people, a couple of services. Like, I think that's where most people come from. So, so we're going to change that right in this podcast. What's up? We're going to change that in this podcast. I hope so. Yeah. Let's change that. (laughs) I hope so. So when we started, uh, we were in this house for approximately two months. And at the end of that time, we had grown to 30 ish to 40 ish people, which in a, in a, small sized formal living room. That's a lot. Right. So the host family said, Hey, this has been fun. You guys have to leave now. Yeah. No kidding. 
Um, vacuuming so we, after that every week, cleaning those yeah. counters. That sounds terrible. <laughs> so we ended up finding us because of my contacts at the Christian school, uh, a local pastor of a Lutheran church. Uh, I was put into contact with him and he said, yeah, you can use our space for sure. Uh, because we were doing a Sunday evening ser- uh, service, which is a complete ripoff of um, Northland. We, mm-hmm. that we just, we, Kate and I, when we went to um, church in California, it was an evening service and we fell in love with that. Cause you had your whole day Saturday, especially with no kids, you had mm-hmm. all Saturday and you had all Sunday morning. Um, so the pastor was like, you guys, your service times don't conflict with ours. So you can meet here. And he charged us $25 a week to use the space. <laughs> oh my gosh. What a gift. We're like, okay. That's I don't such a key thing I- for those of the listeners. Like if you can catch a deal on your space and not have to spend $2,500 a month on that. I mean, I did the math. So I was a church planting pastor for seven years and did the math on it. And we ended up spending an average of 2,500 a month for seven years. That's 28,000 times seven, whatever that is, 160, $170,000 yeah. on space. Just crazy. It sets you up so much better if you can get catch, like and really prioritize getting a very reasonable fiscal deal on your space. I, w- I will say that maybe some of those initial priorities that they're going to shift over time. So we had a hundred dollars in rent a month. I don't even know, Nick, if, if at this point we were taking offerings yet, because mm-hmm. that would be too churchy for me. Okay. So, uh, and I was scared to death of handling people's money and then spending people's money. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we started receiving uh, some, some gifts to help meet the needs. But at that time it was like, 50% of our incoming uh, money was given out the door. And we did a lot of dumb stuff with it too. Um, <laughs> not dumb in the sense of like huge AV budgets, but I mean, we would just go to local childcare centers and say, Hey, do you have any people who are behind on their bills? We'd like to pay them. Hmm. And then we just pay them and then we leave <laughs> and we have no idea. Like I'm hopeful uh, because you know, our intentions were good that those people actually got their bills paid, you know, that's a big deal. Yeah. I, so it's just like, we had a, we had money to, to burn because no one was getting paid. There were, there was no overhead. Um, and then it was, you know, years three, four and five when, when I started to get burnt out of being bivocational and working 40 hours a week teaching and living this pastoral call. Right. Yeah. Uh, that we started Not getting to, paid for it at all. Um, I forget with the timeline, but at one point I was making $500 a month. Yeah. And then at another, another point I was making a thousand dollars a month. Okay. Uh, probably for the first, I think four years of the church. So it's, mm-hmm. it's been fairly recent that I have been a full-time employee. And I actually think this is the first year that my full-time employee status is anywhere near averages for pastors. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So that's, that's, and that's, that's been a lot of my own, um, stuff that I've had to swallow where it's like, well, Kate, Kate makes enough and we don't need to take money from the church. But then we got to the place where I, I just started thinking about, well, if somebody comes to take over this church or if something happens to me, they're not going to step into it for $24,000 and no benefits. Right. Mm-hmm. So we important. tried to start making some sort set up of, the system for the second pastor. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I love all your self-deprecation and I hope that keeps coming, but <laughs> you can count how, on it. How, how about something like missiologically that you 
thought about doing some experiments, some tests, something you tried. And I'd love to hear about something that just went well and uh, was encouraging for people as you, uh, as you're launching this church. Um, we have, uh, we have found a way to network some pretty good relationships with unlikely people. Um, we've got a, a lot of breweries in our area. And I know even this, this is kind of like old news. Uh, but in our area, like we've, we've done something as benign as beer and hymns. Um, and then I'll give you a conversation that I had with a local pastor after we did a beer and hymns night, which is basically we show up at a local brewery, we play some music, we drink some beer, whatever, we tip well. And then people say, oh, this is a church that does that. We go to the beer festivals, we hand out really cool um, stickers and stuff. And uh, gosh, I, even as that's coming out of my mouth, that sounds like, oh, gimmicky, I hate it. I hate what we're doing. I don't know if I've ever heard really cool in front of sticker before, but that was great. I'll and I'll it. tell you right now, we have a, a, a graphic designer and our sticker game is strong, like yes. real strong. Okay. And we, and we are proud of that. So like we're trying to break down some walls within our area and to be a church that's not gimmicky because we also don't want to be like, hey, come drink beer with us. and then sit in the seats as we give you this really conservative theology. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like we, yeah, you're looking we, to have we, mutual relationships with people. Right. Um, so this local pastor, after, you know, we had this beer and hymns night, he has a conversation with me and says, beer and hymns, huh? What's next? Coke and hymns, weed <laughs> and hymns. So it, it, that, that's where we live. Um, uh, in, the, in the hub of ridiculousness. Yeah. That's so fantastic. <laughs> that's a good one. I was also working at a brewery at the time. So we were just trying to make relationships with people. Um, I'll also tell you about our kickball team. We, we play in an adult co-ed recreational, uh, somewhat competitive kickball league. And we're, we're the church team. And uh, I, people know that. We take it really seriously. We try to win. Um, and we play against teams with uh, this is a, where we get the PG-13 mark, isn't it? All right, push the edge. Can't wait. Hold on uh, tight. Te teams with names like Balls Deep and Sit on My Base and Booze on First. I mean, and versus the church team. What's yours? So like, what, is, it, is, your, is your church team's name the church team? <laughs> it should be. Oh, we missed You can make a sweet sticker for it. It'd be great. <laughs> no, we're just, uh, you know, the restoration project. But, like, we have... We have a lot of fun and we're trying to make, uh, make relationships with people. And I think that those have ended up, um, kind of segueing into, uh, a reputation in town for us being a church that's different and a church that people can trust when things hit the fan. So, you know, like right now we're one of the few churches at local protests that are marching for, uh, black lives. And, uh, we are, we're just, I think that through our weird relationships, we've been able to carve out uh, a, a niche for ourselves where um, we don't look or act like other uh, local ministries. Mm -hmm. I should also say this too. We, we've we've uh, partnered with a local uh, nonprofit organization that was started to um, to minister to um, kids. So it's an after school program, and it was started by a family that uh, is part of our church and they just saw a need and they went out and met it. So we've been involved in mentoring and we've been involved in um, 
volunteering and serving. And that's a, that's an organization that uh, reaches about a hundred or so kids in a, in a really small town. So mm-hmm. we're proud of that kind of work too. Yeah. I mean, it's, again, you're full of self-deprecation, which everyone appreciates. Does that keep but coming out? I know, I know the depth uh, to which you all have worked really hard and created really meaningful stuff over the course of many years now. Um, how has the, the more rural context impacted the decisions that you've made, especially as you um, pivoted after your first, like, okay, here we are as a church. Now this is working. This is not working. You kind of head in that fourth season with adaptations to your initial public witness. How does like the rural context like impact how you make changes, what you try, what you test, um, how you make the decisions for what you're going to do, all that kind of change theory stuff. I think a lot of the things that we've talked about up to this point are still looming in, in the backdrop. So there's a lot of churches around here and this will be unique. I think to some of your audience, um, uh, remember rural context, agricultural focus. It is not weird in the month of September for a good number of churches to do an event called blessing of the tractors where people will drive their tractors onto the grounds of the church and the minister will pray over the tractors. Yeah. We don't do that. Um, we sort of have adapted, I think by leaning in to the, to the weirdness of who we are in this, in our, in our context, because there is, I don't want to say this to diminish other ministries, but there's very few people that allow the space that we have allowed for folks to pursue Jesus in different ways, whether that's exploring um, what they think about LGBTQ inclusion, whether that's them looking in the mirror and seeing their own white supremacy and inbuilt, learned, uh, and participated in systemic racism. Um, like we, we don't feel the pressure to cater to our community in those sort of stereotypical ways. And in so doing, I think that we have adapted to a different segment of our community. Um, Whoever is listening to this, wherever you are, there's going to be weirdos there that do not fit whatever context you're in. So if you're in a, like a, an, an urban setting, there's probably maybe some transplants from a rural community mm-hmm. uh, and, and vice versa. So Salisbury being so weird with this influx of professionals and this influx of people that are retiring from, from Baltimore, DC, Philadelphia, like there's this shift in the mindset of, of people. And we're trying to, um, be, this is a buzzword, brace yourself mm-hmm. to be a unique, uh, or authority and, and, uh, an authentic representation of ourselves in this place, even if that doesn't fit the more dominant model. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're not going to be the blessing of the tractors church. Right. Um, we might be the, you know, the black lives matter white majority church. Yeah. Let's let, let me just say it this way. Maybe that you're um, so there's a majority culture there. Yeah. Uh, your missiology isn't bent toward the majority culture. Your missiology no. is bent toward the minority culture. 
We're on the margins for sure. Yeah. So you're going to the edges to work with the marginalized in a place. I mean, that, that sounds like pretty good to me. (laughs) Yeah. Can, Can I, can I say this too for, for listeners that has not resulted for us in a changed demographic in the seats. Mm-hmm. And at, for a long time, I really wrestled with that. Uh, like, you know, here we are, we're talking about all this stuff and it's not influencing the the makeup of our community. And I think that sometimes we sell ourselves short because it, it has shifted our communal makeup. It's just not our communal makeup on Sunday evenings from five to six. Sure. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. our, our friends, the people that we care about, the people that now can trust us to be yeah. present, to be right. standing with them, um, to be fighting alongside of them. Right. Like to be represent right now. If I don't know when this will be out. So, but I'm sure that there'll be some sort of controversy brewing when you, when you're on Facebook, you see the absolute worst in people and right now you're getting a good dose of the absolute worst of the church that's real loud uh and make trying to make their opinions really well known Mm -hmm. and if we can be a voice that contrasts that Mm -hmm. i'm all for it and i think it's work that needs to be done yeah and thank you for doing that work especially in the context you're in i know you've taken a lot of heat from multiple sides and uh, yeah, just grateful for that. Hey, just to wrap up here, Josh, uh, a piece of wisdom for our listeners, something you'd like to leave with them. People who are thinking about starting churches, people who are actively starting churches right now, or churches who want to get into the normal life cycle of starting new churches. What, would, what, what piece of wisdom would you want to share with them? Well, I'm not so sure that there is, I know what you mean. I'm not so sure that there is a a normal church cycle. Um, We're we're seven and a half years old and I still feel as unsettled now as I did at the beginning Um, because there's always something new happening. Like I can't, I can't not talk about this even as I've alluded to it uh, quite a few times here. I, I am a, I am a white 38 year old minister who only knows privilege. I have no idea what it is like to walk in a lot of people's shoes. Yet here I am ministering in a context where you have oppression that is front page news all the time. And I, I was about to say we're forced to deal with it, but I want to change that too. We have the opportunity uh, to minister in light of it. And I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, I mean, I'm reading books, I'm having conversations, I'm, I'm trying to get caught up, but the learning curve is so high. Even when you have the building and even when you can pay for the lights and your salary, <laughs> if you think you can kick back. You can't. Uh, and if you are, maybe you ne- that's when you need to retire because there's always things that are calling for our engagement and um, our continued learning and growing. And I'll, I'll say this too, 
along with that. The only way that you will survive that sort of continual onslaught of um, huge issues that you feel completely unable to speak toward is you have people around you that love you, that care about you, that can lift you up, that can um, support you, pray for you, affirm you. Because when you have to make those tough decisions, which granted you won't be making on your own, but when you're making tough decisions about what you can, what you're going to say publicly and who you're going to fight for publicly, and when you are maligned by local seasoned pastors with large influences, maybe even publicly, the only way that you will make it through is with your team of people who love you. Now, I, I, I will be spiritual here. That's not Thank the you. only way. Thank you, doctor. Jesus will help you too. <laughs> but man, sometimes it's cooler if somebody can put their hands on you and say, we're with yeah. you. Um, well, Jesus did ascend and he did leave with us the body of Christ. So yes. Yes. Thank you. You're mm-hmm. well equipped yeah. for that. Yeah. And thank you for that word. So important. Yeah. So important for us all to remember. Um, hey, Josh, where can people contact you if they like to contact you? Website, Instagram, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I am. Uh, well, we'll do this. The, so the church website is restore sby.org. Um, my email can be found there. That would be one way of contacting me. Um, the church is also online uh, on Instagram at restore SBY. Uh, we have a YouTube page, which you can find by searching uh, the restoration project. That's in this time of quarantine, we have transitioned to videoing everything. So that's our catalog of uh, video stuff as well. Um, and then I'm, I'm online as well, uh, which I don't even know how you search for people on Facebook, but I'm on there. Mm-hmm. Josh, Josh James. I'm sure I'm the only one. There's probably only one Josh James for sure. <laughs> I'm sure you can find it real easy. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just go ahead and type that in. Oh, perfect. Well, Josh, again, thank you. Thanks for your time. Thanks for your wisdom, your ongoing work at joining people at the edges. We appreciate it in the rural context. Appreciate it all the more. And yeah, God bless your ministry. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The Cyclical Podcast, a resource of Cyclical Incorporated. You can join us on mission by going to cyclicalchurches.com and signing up to pray with us daily, Luke 10-2, for God to send out workers into the harvest. This episode was produced by Brianna Kinsman and me, Brendan McClenahan. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a friend. Catch you next time.